there. Welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Mario Ponzio, here alone, because Tom is still working on his graduate thesis. Hard at work getting that master's. He will be back next week when the two of us do a review of the HBO Max and theatrical release, Those Who Wish Me Dead, the new Taylor Sheridan vehicle starring Angelina Jolie. Uh, but today I'm just here alone doing a review of Spiral, the new Darren Lynn Bozeman Chris Rock vehicle uh, that just came out in theaters yesterday. And before I get into the review, I guess a quick little, a quick little thing, interesting thing. It was this. It was 14 months ago and 14 days last night, uh, Thursday, May 13th, that I had been in a theater. Coincidentally, the last film I had seen before the world shut down was uh, Lee Wannell's written and directed The Invisible Man, the Elizabeth Moss film. And the first movie I saw back was a sequel to a Lee Wannell written and starring film. Nice little circle there. I had my hesitations initially um, going in. I, man, it, just, it felt wrong, like doing these new social things feel wrong. I've been trying to follow the guidance and everything, but they still feel weird. And I thought it was going to feel weird going into the theater, uh, but it didn't. It felt like as I sat down in that leather chair like an old glove. Um, you know, I kept my mask on the entire time. Surprisingly, the people in my row uh, only took their masks off to eat food and drink. I didn't get any food or drink because, you know, I ate beforehand and don't need the drink for 90 minutes. Uh, but that sounds like an asshole, but whatever. Um, but... It was, you know, a comfortable experience. It, it felt right. It feels good to be getting back to normal. It feels good to um, be taking the steps to return to society at large, to socially interacting, to engaging in things um, like movie going. You know, I used to go 30 some times a year and now I haven't gone in 14 months. And yesterday was the first day. Um, the one thing I do have to say, uh, I, I remember when I was a kid, and one of the best parts of the theater experience was the 15 minutes before the film began when you got trailers. You usually got three trailers, and it was exciting because this was the 90s, and this is the only time, the only option, only chance you got to see these trailers unless you happen to see them on TV or you happen to, you know, watch coming attractions on E! But this was typically the only time... You got to see a trailer. And last night, the showing at my Cinemark was 8.30. When the feature started, it was, according to my watch, 9.04. There were 13 trailers before Spiral began. And I don't know if this is the normal that happened during COVID. I know trailers were expanding more and more. Um, over the years and commercials and everything. Uh, but this made me kind of realize that I, I think this is the one part of the theatrical experience that, you know, I don't necessarily love. I don't love having to see, sit through 30 minutes of, of, of trailers or to guess when a show time's 8.30, you know, I expect 10 to 15 minutes, but not 30 minutes. Uh, I, I actually considered, because of the visual fidelity uh, that Taylor Sheridan does with his films, going to see those who wish me dead in theaters. And now, after my experience last night, um, 
you know, waiting for trailers to end and waiting for the movie to begin and watching trailer after trailer after trailer. Now, to give Cinemark credit, one of those 13 trailers I included was a uh, in the Heights Cinemark kind of collab. So maybe it's 12 and a half trailers. But uh, that sort of thing makes me realize, you know, maybe the theater going experience isn't as great as I remember it being. I mean, yeah, the actual experience overall in the end is really worth it. And there's going to be movies that I absolutely need or would want to see in theaters. Uh, Quiet Place Part 2. I'm not really excited for that, but that's significantly a theater film. Our Villain Waves upcoming Dune. Those are theater experiences for sure. But I just don't know if I want a Chris Rock slasher movie to be my theater experience anymore. I, I would want to see this on streaming services. I mean, I don't want to wait, uh, so I'll still go to theaters, but with that 45-day turnaround coming from most studios, it's going to make me rethink a lot of the movies I go see at the theater just because, and I understand it's an economic issue, um, it's kind of a survival issue for theaters with social margins, but it is a real commitment to go to a showing and at a certain time and and then not know because because these aren't all these films don't start 30 minutes after not know when the actual show time begins it'd be almost nice if these theaters could tell you when trailers are going to end uh but who knows if that's going to happen anyhow on to the review for today it is darren lynn bozeman's new slasher film starring chris rock samuel l jackson rachel nichols and Max Mengele, not, you know, doing his thing, it is Spiral. Whoever did this has another motive. They're targeting cops. This shit's gonna go sideways fast. Someone's out there pulling all the strings. You wanna play games, motherfucker? The motherfucker in question is yet another jigsaw killer, who this time is targeting corrupt cops. Uh, particularly, he seems interested in Detective Ezekiel Banks, played by Chris Rock. Uh, he kills, in the beginning, Ezekiel's best friend, um, and then proceeds to leave clues for him, which uh, include USB videotapes, uh, video recordings, and the body parts of the victims in question. Um, I'm going to start with a non-spoiler review because Tom's not here and I actually care about dividing spoilers and not spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, there's going to be a timestamp when this is released showing when spoilers and I'm going to give a nice little spoiler break. I don't have the cool spoiler alert that Tom posts. He didn't put down our Google Drive, so I apologize for anybody who has a hankering for that. Um, but I'll start just with my general review. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit um for a saw film 
I've said many times that I am always willing to meet a film where they are. And the Saw films never really ask for much. They just kind of exist as these fun joy house rides. And Spiral continues the tradition of that. It also continues the tradition started in Jigsaw of a really strong-looking production. Um, I loathed... uh, Saws 5 through 3D, mainly because they look so cheaply made. Uh, you had, you know, first-time directors, and, and the video quality, the cinematography of those films became near soap opera. Uh, Jigsaw kind of brought it more to a theatrical look, brought it back from, you know, what you had in Saw, um, even though there was still, obviously, the griminess in Saw. Saw 2 and Saw 3, and to an extent Saw 4, the Bozeman films. This film, though, really does look like a theatrical production. Uh, it has really solidly surprising color saturations. The opening scene is shot during a 4th of July celebration in Toronto. Um, and it just it looked nice. It looked good. There's good colors to this. Uh, Jordan Oram was a cinematographer on this. And, and for a Saw film, he does a pretty solid job. Um the thing that I also really enjoy about this film is that it brings up the performances. I'm 100% a Saw guy uh, for no particular reason. Um, I think everybody would be surprised by that. But I enjoy what these films are doing and what these films offer um, just for the funhouse aspect of them. They're never pushing too much. They're never asking too much. They're never demanding too much um they don't try to reach a certain level in terms of storytelling they kind of just exist as these soap operas and as a wrestling fan i 100 percent can enjoy a soap opera and where this film does take itself more seriously does kind of endeavor to have some sort of social commentary in a much more successful way than saw six um it's still in the end, pretty ham-fisted. Um, a lot of those commentaries on police brutality or on police corruption uh, just don't hit the mark at all. Like, they they fail to make a major narrative impact, and that's because Saul is what it is, and this movie is a Saul film. Narratively, they rely on flashbacks. I think you have five or six flashbacks not necessarily the greatest storytelling invention, but by this point, it's what you expect from a Saw film, and it continues to do that. What this film exceeds at, though, is you know having those two A-list actors and Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson, and having a solid supporting cast. You know, Max Minghelli is always kind of doing decent work. I've liked him since Art School Confidential, um, and I said Rachel Nichols earlier. That was wrong. Uh, Marcella Nichols. Um, Marcella Nichols is also pretty solid. I, I don't necessarily know where she comes from, but all of those four lead stars are doing good work, and I find that the supporting underground kind of cast members are doing a better job than Resol people do in Saw 4. Like, Consastus Mandalory um, playing that Hoffman character just did not do anything great. Um, 
man, you know, even even going to Jigsaw, where, where it was a bunch of unknowns, uh, the Jigsaw 2017, um, who did a, a, re- a respectable job, I guess. Um, they still had kind of a lower tier quality to them. Uh, not, a, not necessarily a bad performance, but it didn't reach real theatrical level to it. And this has been a series that doesn't have that ever. Uh, Tobin Bell, you know, was, was a supporting actor. And I think that mostly known for television, I think television work, Carrie always had been not very relevant for 10 years. By the time saw it come out, Lee Wannell was a great writer, but, uh, now, but, uh, you know, maybe not the best actor. And, and, the most notable names in the sequels are are mostly television performers. You know, Julie Benz and um, that's the only name I can really remember. Of. Was it Betsy Betsy uh, Russell? Um, this film elevates that. You know, even though Chris Rock at times isn't amazing, he's doing a good job. Um, he's he's trying. He hits the certain peaks he needs to hit to. He sometimes doesn't hit those peaks. Samuel Jackson's always funny as hell to watch. Um, and Max Minghelli. Uh, Max Minghelli does, does, a, does a really solid job of playing that kind of fresh-faced, hopeful upstart. Um, from a production standpoint overall, the film still works. There's some editing flubs. Uh, they still love that quick jerk-style editing during the traps. Um I already mentioned the color saturation. The color palette was nice. Uh, there are some odd editing choices. I th- think Darren Lynn Bozeman overall has a director is still kind of getting his feet wet. Um, he's really only had the three major Saw films and Reap of the Genetic Opera being his major kind of notable features. And that learning how to pace a film learning how to block a film, learning how to really show things is not there yet. Uh, but it, it does the job of what a Saw film needs to do. Uh, the music update is is fine. Uh, Charlie Closer is still doing good work. You know, you, you kind of get the old Hello Zepp, and his score kind of falls to the background behind the Savage 21 music, which I don't necessarily think fits, but, you know, you could try something new. Um the film does lean into comedy more. There's a, a Forrest Gump and divorce kind of stand-up routine that Chris Rock does. That's a you know a nice little reprieve from the horror aspect and the gore aspect of the film. Speaking of, I would almost argue that this is the most uncomfortably gory of the bunch. Uh, not not all the goriest film by far, but the most uncomfortably gory in the sense that. The Saw films, after, I'd say, the first two, reached a point. By Saw 3, you kind of reach a point where it's almost comedic. It's uh, very much detached from reality. Um, As horrific as the rack scene is in Saw 3, it doesn't necessarily feel exactly tangible. Um, And then you get kind of the surgery sequences, which are fine, but, you know... I, I don't necessarily find them to be disturbing. Um, the traps in this, while not heavily featured, uh, and oftentimes just shown very quickly, kind of kind of work in that queasiness level. Um, the opening trap, which is on YouTube, and don't spoil yourself with that personally, uh, is 
really tremendous um, and gory and unsettling, and it works. Um, there's later traps that don't necessarily art has gory, but the psychological aspect of them works really well. Um, maybe not as much as the was it the Saw Seven um, bull brazen bull trap, but that that trap was just mean. So you know I'm not going to count that. Um, but overall, I think my end review would be I'm disappointed by the finale of the film. It, it takes a pretty obvious turn, and there are a lot of moments that uh, telegraph what is coming. Um, it obviously narratively doesn't hold up um, to any sort of normal film that you would see every day, and it still has amateur kind of directing choices but from a overall saw film if you're a saw guy or you're a woman saw woman or um you appreciate kind of the dumb gore films uh you know the adam green kind of horror movies the hatchet movies or whatnot um i would say this is the frozen for adam green of the Saw series. It is a movie with a lot more thought behind it, a lot more consideration, and overall just a lot more um, patience with the story. That is the non-spoiler review of Spiral from the Book of Saw. I keep saying Saw and not Saw. Or what? I, I mispronounce my W's all the time. Anyhow, now to get into the spoilers. The spoilers. The spoilers. Five-second break while I take a drink, and then we'll get into the spoiler thoughts of Spiral. So you just heard my non-spoiler review. Um, my spoiler thoughts will just kind of focus in on sp kind of the things that don't work. Um and then kind of the, the aspects of, of the gore that do work. Uh, you know, I talked about the traps, the first trap, the, the tongue trap, just because that's pretty heavily featured in the advertising. Um, the later traps are also reach that level of kind of discomfort. Uh, the Chinese finger trap has a distance of time with it, and you sit with it, and you kind of watch the fingers slowly come off, and that is, that is, that is rough. And I, I appreciate that the... Um, the wax trap is is not has graphic i really thought it was going to be acid or, or something of that effect and just the kind of like watching of the black wax fall on her head um and her suffocating and and the allowing a little bit more of the body work um you know mixed with kind of the silliness of the severing of the spinal cord aspect of the trap i think all that was successful uh, I, I think from from that standpoint, uh, when you see "quote unquote" William being skinned, that's really uncomfortable and unsettling. It has a Paul Thomas, Paul Thomas, Paul T. Anderson quality um, to it from Event Horizon, where it just is you see just enough to make you really, really uncomfortable with what's going on. Um, the issue I have with this film. Is and I, I have to almost give this a negative review, because I promised Tom if one thing happened before I went to the theater, that if this happened, I was going to give this film a negative review, and 
I'm not going to. I still think it's the second or third most successful Saw film. Uh, I haven't seen Saw 2 in forever, and I really enjoyed that when it came out. But as I said, 5 through 7 were awful. Jigsaw's fine, but Logan, uh, the actor who plays Logan, the main villain, really didn't do it any favors. Um, So I like it, but my problem with it is for a series that so heavily relies on its twists, that often the twists are, pr- are pretty telegraphed. Um, this, I could have called, I called actually, before the film came out. Uh, and then the film itself does it no favors whatsoever. Um, horror directors, I think, need to get off the Terry Zwigoff train when Terry Zwigoff casts Max Mengele as kind of like the quote-unquote killer, suspected killer, who doesn't end up being, you know, such an art school confidential. And then Alexander Asia cast him as the killer, spoilers, in Thor, Horns. Max McGilley has this face. He's a good-looking kid. Well, he's a year older than me, but good-looking kid. You know, has, has a has a everyday boy charm to him, but there's just something slightly wrong that works for a horror film. And my issue with that Sorry, I'm going to take a drink. As G-Bot you're hearing. My issue with that is the fact that I could have seen it coming. It, his casting, and his casting has the rookie partner of Chris Rock, said to me that he was the villain all along. Has a horror fan. And I kind of suspect a lot of people that go see Saw films, at least a decent percentage are going to get that. But had the film done decent job of hiding that I would have been okay with it this film never ever tries to do that uh it it doesn't do that at all uh you see every character major character's death uh you see the reason why they're being killed you see the sins of what they committed you see uh the the uh, execution of it and the second you see the well for, for like to begin with when he's talking about his wife and kid it kind of feels like there's no wife and kid and when he's framed william is framed calling zeke and you know you hear the baby cries the way in which the audio mixing of that scene works and the way in which laptop is framed i looked at that scene and went like there's no fucking baby because that is telegraphed to the extreme there is no goddamn baby because this is filmmaking 101 to be like aha you can hear a baby but wink we're gonna come back there it's you know the last film jigsaw kind of did the john kramer voice work even though it's silly of cutting up an audacity or whatever john kramer's previous things so that logan could get away with it like that's silly but it kind of worked because you couldn't see it coming. You're like, how'd they get the voice? And it's like, oh, because of that. And maybe because you don't see it, uh, that it works. But here, when that scene happened, I was like, of course. Of course he doesn't have a kid, which means, of course, he's the villain. I mean, I went in there with my suspicions and my expectations. But, you know, that. The biggest issue, the biggest issue, though, is killing William off in the second act to go like, oh, he's not a villain. And maybe maybe it's marcus maybe it's pete 
Maybe it's Detective Drury who disappeared. Maybe it's O'Brien. Was uh, that Detective O'Brien? I think O'Brien who we um who just popped up. You know, who looks just like like has the body shape of a Hoffman. Maybe it's that guy. Um, but then they kill off William. They kill off William, and they narratively fail to do several things. First, William's killed just by the story to get under Zeke's skin, right? Um, that is the thing. Am I getting under your skin yet? The story has set up to this point that that is not how this new jigsaw works. This new jigsaw is kind of trying to go in the Kramer mindset of absolving people, of absolving the sin, of absolving the corruption in the police department. And then his rookie partner, who we've established is a good guy who's looking out for Zeke, who's been, you know, admonished by and backstabbed by the rest of the department, just gets killed to get under Zeke's skin. And Zeke, who we've established as kind of a crooked cop, you know, he skirts that line, kind of a crooked cop, just to get under that guy's skin. You know, not, not somebody who's, who's shot innocent people, not somebody who's withheld evidence, not somebody who's imprisoned people by lying. You know, just to get under that guy's skin, just get under Zeke's skin. And we've already seen by this point William be extremely uncomfortable when Zeke, um, you know, goes in the, to the house without the warrant and breaks the leg of the meth dealer and then tortures kind of the meth dealer. We already see Zeke being like, whoa, like his face that suggests like, I'm not cool. Or we see William saying like, oh, I'm not cool with this. Like his face says that. And it's also another telegraph thing of like, well, he's not cool with that because, um, you know, because like he's the killer. I don't see the necessity to have William die, to have William be removed as a possible suspect. I think that was a bad fucking choice, a really poor choice. Um, but they did it, and the second they did that, and the second they didn't show that it was William's body being skinned, the second they didn't show any attempt to say that William had some corruption in his training, it became patently obvious that William was the villain. And, and that's a problem with a series that kind of goes out of its ways to not really show you why a villain's a villain. They kind of just happen. And maybe that's its own problem, but, you know, you suspected Amanda could have been a disciple after what she said in the original Saw and when she's the lead in Saw 2. But the film does its, uh, goes out of its way to make her seem like a hero and to, like, throw her into the, um, the needle trap. I mean, she just gets thrown into it, but the, the fact that she endures that um, lead you to start suspecting that maybe that's not where this film is going. And Hoffman just fucking comes out of nowhere. Um, that film is its own issue. Uh, Saw 4. This, though, telegraphs it. And it doesn't give you any chance to believe there's another red herring. And uh, the entirety of this twist is is what's wrong. Because of the fact that he ends up being Charlie, the witness's son, William. Um, that's stupid. It doesn't have to have this weird wraparound to, like, what started off with Zeke. Uh, we don't need that. I, th I think it just is attempting to tie everything in, and you don't need to do that. 
You don't need to have that happen. I mean, I do really appreciate the peat trap of the glass in the back and everything. Like, that's that's pretty fun um, and disturbing and, and uncomfortable. Uh, fun in, 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 the, in, in why it's disturbing and uncomfortable. Not, not a crazy person. Um, so that works, I guess. But I was really hoping that he had a wife and kid. And they had died as a result of this Article 8 thing or something. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's more of the soap opera love in me hoping for that. Um, and I hate I hate to – I don't ever want to be the type of person who says um, this movie should have done that. You know, this movie would have been better if it did that because, you know, the filmmaker made their own choice. So I won't – I'll say, like, what I wish had happened, but uh, it's not – at all part of the negative review the, the negative aspect of this review the negative aspect of this review comes in the fact that it just narratively doesn't feel significantly earned we don't get any semblance before um you know we reveal william has a son that there was a son i mean just just give us a throwaway line of dialogue and, and like make you notice that throwaway line of dialogue because if it was there i didn't oh he does say maybe he does say he had a son i can't remember Maybe he says that before, um, but if it was, it's not. Maybe I wanted that to be telegraphed a little more because it felt so tangentially related that uh, it just felt like a secondary twist for the sake of a twist. I did appreciate the kind of ham-nosed uh, death of Marcus by like swatting. Um, that's kind of like a, a final twist that works uh, to really kind of pinpoint the nose because we're seeing a lot of police corruption in this movie that feels like movie police corruption that feels like uh police corruption in the sense of you know lying on the witness stand you know that it happens i would assume or you know shooting a guy who flips you off we, we, we can only assume that that happens um but to have you know to have somebody die by swatting and to have had issues where we've heard of people dying by swatting or die by just, just a cop being too um, reactive to, to a situation where they shouldn't have reacted. Uh, that works. I, I thought that was a great kind of final moment. That really was the first part of those trilogy of twists that makes kind of a fun sense that, 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 that works. Um, I mean, I don't think there's there. I don't feel there's a race element to the Marcus being the one shot, uh, but I mean that's just not how I I perceived it. But but the entire like cop and SWAT active reacting reacting and shooting somebody without much hesitation whatsoever, um, despite the fact that it's shown that like Marcus might have a gun on him. That that really really did work for me. Um, as I said, uh, overall, my impressions of this film are are solid. Uh, from from the from it being a saw film, uh, it works as a saw sequel. Uh, it's it's not the original. It doesn't have the amazing, fantastic twist that the original does. In fact, it utterly fails to have that. Uh, I think the jigsaw twist of Logan being the first guy, even though it's kind of silly, works even better. Um, and I find that to be one of the weaker films in terms of the, of the twists. Um, you know, Saw 6 and all those have better twists. This is one of the weaker twist films, but has a overall production 
I think it works. It still feels amateur. It still feels dirty. It still doesn't feel necessarily like a real movie because it has those narrative failings. It has those circuit editing choices. It still has some of those shaky secondary acting performances. Um, Amongst some some good ones, uh, the the woman who played Zoe Palmer who played Kara like did a pretty solid job of playing a police officer's wife. I thought um, just want to call her out. Um, but all those other things really worked for me. Worked quite a bit. Um, I, I like I said, this is probably my second or third favorite Saw film. If you like the Saw films, you like the series, you'll like this. If you hate that genre of movies and are hoping that Chris Rock is going to revitalize it like David Gordon Green did with uh, Halloween 2018 or that Jordan Peele has done with the horror series, um, you know, the horror genre in general, this is this is not going to be your movie. It's, it doesn't do that at all. It is a slightly more serious Saw film with a police procedural twist uh, angle to it with a uh, attempt to kind of do a recreation of the late 90s um, crime dramas. Uh, or early 2000 crime dramas like the Suspect Zero type films. It's it's um, or you know Mine Hunters. It's a better movie than either of those. Or I mean, people mentioned Seven, but there's so many of like Seven was just a, a part of a bigger genre. And it's just kind of the one exceptional, outstanding one of that genre. But there's so many movies in that genre. Um, this is this is this is those the cheesy ones of that. This is that late 90s, early 2000s cheesy crime movies, but. You know, it works if you like Saw films. That's basically it. We will be back next week in the studio with both members. So you don't have to hear me talk for almost an hour. I'm really disturbed that I can talk for almost an hour about nothing. I doubt this will have high listenership. That's okay. Uh, But both of us will be back next week as we review Those Who Wish Me Dead. Um... If you want to yell at me for talking for way too long and wasting your time, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal, a Twitter that we use often. Or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or you can check out a list of the movies that we did when we used, did the list or the beers that we drank when we did the list and maybe the beers we'll drink in the future and maybe one day I'll get off my lazy fucking ass and write an essay. I know Tom's wrote one. Maybe I'll do that. Or two, uh, you can do that at PivotalFilm.com. Like us on your podcast things. Give us five-star reviews. Does that help us, I think? I don't think so, but I've heard other podcasts say that, and I guess that's a good thing. I'm trying to go as high as possible to annoy you in the ending. Uh, to all our listeners, we love you. Uh, you know, hopefully now you're fully vaccinated. Hopefully, uh, if, if you're an American listener, um, if you haven't got your vaccines and you have the ability to, please get out there and get a vaccine. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you're a movie lover. Um, just imagine the freedom you're going to have going into a movie without really any fear. Because I went into that theater last night fully vaccinated and had no hesitation once I was in there. Because there was no reason to hesitate. I looked at the numbers, looked at the stats, looked at the data. So if you've been hesitant to get the vaccine, I got it two weeks ago, my second dose. My reaction to the second dose was 
basically nothing. A little bit tired, a little hot for a day, ladies. Um, but overall, it was nothing, and I'm excited for the world to reopen. Maybe not excited to go back into the office, but that's a whole different world. I'll take that uh, to get people back, to get movies back, to get experiences back. So please, if you're not vaccinated, please do that. And if you are vaccinated, fuck it. Go to the theaters. See a movie. If it's an Alamo theater, they're still open. I don't know. Or if it's a Cinemark that has it, drink a beer. We will talk to you next week.